There's an image in the Pali Canon of a monk sitting alone on a hill while below people are getting drunk, singing, dancing, partying, <laughs> and uh, the Buddha in this description uses this image to uh, describe what the authentic search for a true meaning and purpose in life might entail. That it requires going against the stream. It requires the uh, effort and the willingness to do something that other people are not doing, to run against the grain of the world. So the second image I'd like to bring to bear uh, is the story of a Viennese, Austrian, Viennese, there's the same thing, uh, psychiatrist. In 1942, the psychiatrist was with his wife and family brought to Theresienstadt, a concentration camp, and then he was moved on to Auschwitz and then to um, Dachau. His wife wound up in Bergen-Belsen with the rest of his family and they died. And throughout the three years before he was liberated, uh, Viktor Frankl saw countless people just give up on life. Uh, surrender to the inhumane conditions and perish. While he saw other people somehow survive the grueling internment and along with him make it to the liberation that happened in 1945 when the Allies reached the horror that was uh, Dachau. So Frankel uh, afterwards he was asked to write a book summarizing what he had experienced and the gist of his book, Man's Search for Meaning, was that the difference between those who very often survived and those who perished was that those who survived found an authentic meaning, a deep purpose for their lives, something that gave them a reason to live. Because in those situations, those debased situations where everything goes wrong, where there is no pleasure or ease or comfort to be found, Frankel maintained that life still offers truth and beauty to keep us going. So I'm going to read you what he found in a moment, but um, first I'll make a couple notes uh, it is human nature to seek our security and our meaning for life in what the Buddha called the worldly winds of monetary gain, accumulation, seeking pleasurable sensations, achieving popularity, pleasing other people. And he says that basically... As I'm sure you've all experienced, what happens is while those uh, sources do provide some fleeting pleasure, eventually 
even the shiniest new iPad, loses its glow. The thing that we always want to acquire, which glows in a store window, or the, the if we're living with roommates, the one-bedroom apartment, or the <laughs> if we work with somebody we can't stand, the getting rid of our co-worker, there's always this sense of uh, there that we're not at. And unfortunately, when we get there, it doesn't turn out to be all that it was supposed to be. And in our constant chasing for the solution externally out there in the world, getting our ducks in orders, we become increasingly busy, increasingly frantic accumulating things, and we don't find the authentic purpose. And that lack of an authentic meaning or purpose creates a sense of hollowness. And also on top of it, the busyness means that there's so many woundings, deep emotions, losses, uh, abandonment experiences, sadnesses that we out that we race about so that we don't have to feel. We don't acknowledge these deep shadows. We don't even acknowledge the fleetingness of life, the surety of old age, sickness, and death, which looms. So, as the Buddha said, until we find an authentic purpose, a meaning for our life that transcends stuff that we'll habituate to quickly and then lose interest in. Until we find a purpose, we are all susceptible to addictions of one sort or another. It doesn't have to be the addictions of alcohol or drugs. It can be the addictions of work or seeking sex, food, shopping, uh, so many socially encouraged Addictions. And interestingly enough, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning wrote that if we don't find a true purpose, something that grounds us in something that transcends the uh, repetitiveness of going to work, coming back from work, spending, flopping on the bed, if we don't find a purpose for life, then we are susceptible, he said, to become the very fascists, he said, that we're tormenting the prisoners in Auschwitz. Without a true authentic meaning, we can be twisted about. So, as I was hinting, there's no place where there's a lasting inoculation from pain. There's no place where there's lasting comfort there's no place you ever get to go where you live without fear or sadness or uh, all the true human emotions. We are, in a human birth, always going to have the same emotional color palette from birth to death, the same basic universal emotions, elation, surprise, Sadness, fear, frustration, disgust. There's only so many. And the belief that, oh, as soon as I get over there, some point in the future when I no longer have this job or that, and that, that place I'll be 
it'll be perfect and then I can truly relax and arrive in life and find the purpose and find the meaning for my existence. There's never going to be any there. What you have right now will never be any markedly different from that, the future. You will still have those basic feelings. You will still have a body, a breath. And all the stuff swirling around doesn't really answer the question. So, once we're alienated from consumerism and we are... uh, we might try other approaches to find meaning. Some of us will, like I certainly did for many years, buy endless spiritual and philosophical books. I was a happy camper in St. Mark's bookstore. And the idea, I believe, was that the wisdom and insight I needed to find the true meaning that I was desperately searching for to give my life some sense of authenticity, some something that was deeply true and meaningful for me, something that made was not made me irreplaceable, unfortunately cannot be found again in books. It's like trying to learn how to swim by reading about it or looking at diagrams. The true authentic purpose has to be felt. It has to be something that resonates in the heart and that cannot be conveyed in the concepts which just live in the left hemisphere of the brain and don't resonate deeply. We also might try to find that authentic purpose in accumulating experiences, traveling, having lots of affairs. Big experiences. And look, I'm not in any way against traveling. I think it's great. (laughs) And have a wonderful, dramatic sexual exapades if you want, so long as you're causing no harm. But I've got bad news if you think that the deep meaning for life will come about because you've traveled to Machu Picchu, or you've gone spelunking in the caves of crystal caves of Mexico because once again it's not something that's presented to you externally it has to be something that an authentic meaning has to be something that resonates within some people find it in God but I've always myself, and I can only speak for myself, in the times of my despair and during the times of great depression, my prayers weren't particularly answered by any divine voice. And even if it was there, I found that many people confuse so easily their, their own voices of fear and their own self-serving beliefs and mistake it to be the voice of the divine, if there is one. And besides, I'm kind of hoping that my authentic purpose in life will be something that is discovered within, not provided to me by some external uh, provider. So let me read to you what Frankel found. 
in Dachau in 1944, that purpose. As we stumbled on in the darkness over big stones and puddles along one road leading from the camp, the guards kept shouting at us and driving us with the butts of their rifles, and hardly a word was spoken. The wind did not encourage talk. We stumbled on for miles, slipping on the ice. Occasionally I looked up at the sky where the stars were fading and the pink light of the morning was beginning to spread behind a dark bank of clouds. And in my mind I saw my wife's image, imagining it with an uncanny acuteness. I heard her answering my sorrows. I saw her smile, her frank and encouraging look. And a thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. That truth, that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret human poetry and human thought and human belief have to impart. The salvation is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world may still know bliss, even be it for the briefest moment, in the contemplation of the beloved, in a position of utter desolation, even when one cannot express oneself in positive action, an achievement may consist in enduring sufferings in the right way. And through the loving contemplation of the image one carries of the beloved, we can achieve that fulfillment. So, happy times. Um, <laughs> an authentic purpose answers the question, what can I rely on under any conditions? What will always provide me with comfort and direction? What will never abandon me? That's when you know you have found your purpose. So the Buddha offered us these purposes, these refuges. The first is I take refuge in the Buddha, which means the belief that true peace and wisdom and insight can be found right now internally, that we are not broken, that we are not missing anything, that there is nothing missing from any of you, that within each of you there is a blindingly meaningful experience that can be uncovered. In the process of simply breathing and staying alive to the wonders of the human mind. In the final decision to stop abandoning ourselves in the busyness of accumulation and trying to achieve things all the time and overschedule ourselves, to take that moment where we stop and turn and seek something within. Those times we stop abandoning our sadness, we start turning towards those emotions that we've been running from, those losses, those grievings, and we truly embrace 
all that we feel, even our shadow selves, that is taking refuge in the Buddha. In taking refuge in the Dharma, I remember that my actions right now also create the mind that I will live in in the future. As my favorite neuroscientists say, neurons that fire together wire together. How you use your mind wires the brain and creates the thoughts that you will live in in the future. And fortunately, the Buddha provided a long list of insights, provided endless wisdom to help us learn how to use the mind in a way that we will create ease and comfort for ourselves rather than stress, worry, delusion. He points to skills that will help us develop some lasting peace, to pause rather than to react, to learn how to relax the breath and body when we feel triggered by others, to observe the impermanence of all experience, to let go of the narrow agendas of the narrow self, and to learn how to refocus the mind from its fixation on threats and negative experiences towards where all those things that are resourceful are around us, the feelings of safety. The mind is set up to survive at all costs, not to build, to build happiness. And so we must learn to retrain it. Third is taking refuge in the Sangha. The highest form of authenticity in life is that moment when we bear our darkest experiences and share it with others. When we make a true connection, not based on performing for others or saying what other people want us to say, but when we actually risk expressing our fears our sadness, our losses, our grief. It's a risk even greater than sitting and observing the shadows within. In meditation, we can create a safe container that allows us to hold our most challenging emotional activations and energies. But if we truly want to heal those wounds of abandonment and loss and separation, we have to seek connection. And that's what we're all here together for. The Buddha said, I do not see any quality by which the skillful rises and the unskillful subsides other than friendship with admirable people. From my friends, I learn what is beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and beautiful in the end. I learn what is surpassingly pure. The spiritual life is one of mutual dependence, for together we can cross over the flood of ignorance. So those are the three refuges we take. Finding that true self or that true experience within. Learning to train the mind so that we don't cause suffering in the future. And establishing those 
connections, those true secure connections with others that will support us and help us grow. We also take the precepts for if we are going to develop a peaceful life, we cannot do so by causing harm. As the Buddha said in the Kalama Sutta, if we are causing harm to others, even if there is no rebirth, we will wind up living in an agitated mind. For a mind that causes harm or acts selfishly is constantly filled with either self-justifications or feelings of shame and regret. So if we want to find true peace, we do so by not harming ourselves or other beings. The precepts we take are refraining from killing, from stealing, from harmful speech or false speech, from intoxication, and you can interpret that as you like, and through causing harm through our sexual conduct. These precepts are not based on any commandment from a god. There's nobody upstairs observing you. There's no Santa Claus keeping track of you're naughty or nice. You are going to fail as I am going to fail. I won't even use the word fail. Let's say we'll fall short. I talk shit all the time. (laughs) And there's no point in the spiritual practice where the Buddha ever said, if you fuck up, beat yourself up. He simply said, acknowledge that it didn't find true meaning. It wasn't the answer and move towards where peace is to be found. When he taught his son, Rahula, he never told him to beat himself up when he fell short. He simply said, acknowledge it, and set again your intentions to be harmless, and to take refuge where true peace is to be found. So be gentle with yourself. Be encouraging any time you try this path. If you can, I encourage you not to set measurable amounts. If you try to meditate 10 minutes a day for the rest of the year, you'll probably fall short. But if you set an intention simply to meditate or to set an intention to be kind or generous, those open-ended intentions are very hard to fall short of. I thank you so much for listening. And now we're going to pass the strings out and we're going to do the chants for taking <coughs> refuges and the precepts. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong! <laughs> the refuges are here. <laughs> so, uh... Budan saranam gachami, Daman saranam gachami, Sangan saranam gachami, Dutiampi budan saranam gachami, Dutiampi daman saranam gachami. 
Dutiampi sangam saranam gachami Tatiampi budam saranam gachami Tatiampi daman saranam gachami Tatiampi sangam saranam gachami So I'm going to read in Pali the precepts, then I'll read the precepts in English, and then you can repeat it if you so like. Banani viramani sikabadam samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from destroying living creatures. To refrain from destroying living creatures. Adani dana viramani sikabadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. Kameso mikakara viramani sikabadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from causing harm through sexual conduct. Musafada viramani sikabadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from harmful speech. Surmaya pamadatana viramani sikabadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to carelessness. So I now pronounce you man and wife. Thank you all so much for coming. It's truly wonderful. I'm so grateful to you all. And I hope to see you again in the new year. And now let's take some time just to get to know each other. And then probably at around 1230.